Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Slappy Pappy Wayne Wayan. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by RoboRooter. Whether you have a clock sink or jammed-up bow, RoboRooter can reach it all. That intro kills me because our, our voiceover guy completely butchered the delivery and so I've held it back for a while because I thought it was both <laughs> hilarious and disappointing that he just destroyed <laughs> the joke. That's why it's hilarious. Yeah. How disappointing it is. Welcome to the Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a movie podcast for the film fans out there, you know, sending one out to film lovers across the world. <laughs> we, we are filmmakers, actors, a musician, producer, writers, all the things. And we like to tear apart movies and see what they're made of. It's Movies are like a, a, a cinematic pinata. We like to bang them apart and get the candy inside. <laughs> like That's all we're trying to do here. That's yeah. the best explanation for the pestle we've come up with yet. And it's it's like it's like a small child trying to break the <laughs> pinata right. while an adult is really trying to not allow him to break it, which is exactly what happened to me yesterday. My son, we they had a pinata at my son's at my my father-in-law's place where we were having this party. And my father-in-law was pulling the pinata and my son was swinging at it. And after I had it, I was video you know, with videoing with my phone and after like five minutes of them swinging at it and missing or even connecting really well with it and nothing happening, I was like, okay, I'm putting my phone down. This is enough. <laughs> I just couldn't break the darn thing. That's, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. That, that's us. We're the kids with the blindfold and like Spielberg yes. is the one that's like teasing us, <laughs> yanking it away. What a crazy coincidence. I had no idea y'all were <laughs> yeah. playing with a pinata yesterday. <laughs> yeah, man. I had an interesting week uh-huh. a few days ago uh, for Inter- International Women's Day. I threw out, I just randomly decided I would post some of the, the women I think about and aspire to be in the in the film industry. And like I I tagged like, you know, Greta Gerwig and some and some people. Not, I don't even think she's I think I tagged like a fan account thinking it was Greta's and it wasn't even oh, yeah. hers. So disappointed. But I also tagged Ava DuVernay and she like gave me a shout out and a so repost cool, and, man. and so cool. Tagged me and wished me well. And it was just like melted my face. And so I I think that sent me on like a I didn't realize it until a little while ago when I was thinking about what we would talk about during this preamble. And I realized, man, I think that did send like a jolt of energy that I've been writing furiously for the past, you know, few days and it's been great. And it probably, you could probably pinpoint it to stuff that I was doing beforehand. I've done a lot of work. It wasn't like I haven't been working, but I've been having small writer's block. And so I or large writer's block with very small amounts of success. I'm like, Oh, I got two pages done today. Great. I got three pages done today. Amazing. I got, you know, a paragraph today. Way to go. <laughs> like sometimes just whatever you can get. And then after that, I think I wrote like eight or nine pages, nine or 10 pages. And it was just like, boom. And then the next day I wrote another eight pages. And, mm-hmm. you know, today I wrote another three pages. And so it's just been like, oh, wow. Okay. And I was joking with a friend. I was like, it's, it's one of those things where you you give a shout out to your hero and your hero shouts back and then you run away crying like, 
that's exactly it. It's so good. It's awesome. And so I'm just curious, uh, like, have you had any interactions with people like you really look up to? That are famous, like already doing it? That are famous in your eyes. Man, that's a really great question that I probably should think about to come up with an answer. I don't have an answer right now. I, I think yes. I, I, I can't tell you right. I mean, I've, I've been in the studio with people yeah. that, that are like already doing it, you know, but, and have some success, but nothing where I'm like, oh my gosh, like nothing like Ava DuVernay status, you know, amazing. Like, oh my gosh, okay, you made my day. Now I'm going to go write five songs or whatever. Yeah. Like nothing like that, that I, that I know of now. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, I don't, I think people like that realize the effect that they can have, but maybe they forget or maybe, I mean, you get busy living your life, I guess, but it's easy whenever you are maybe an Ava and then, you know, you've put out a Selma or a 13th or, you know, uh, when they see us or whatever. And then you run into one of your heroes at that stage, your hero probably isn't thinking that they're me. Like if she were to go and meet, whoever Gina Prince by the wood and they were to sit and have a conversation. Gina probably wouldn't be looking at Ava uh, as anything less than a peer. Like, Oh, you know, you're just, you're a colleague. And even though Ava on the inside might be like, Oh my God, you know, she made love and basketball and so many other th projects that I love the, they're going to be interacting. And so, you know, as Ava, while you're in that conversation, why you can have that conversation as opposed to if they met whenever Ava had just put out her first doc, uh, when the West was one at that point, it might be like, Oh my God, like I'm meeting so-and-so and they don't know who I am. And so, yeah, I think it's just interesting because hopefully, you know, in some other context, I'll have another opportunity to, to actually meet Ava, not just, you know, interact over Instagram or something and that'll be a completely new context. And I will probably still be a bit of a freak, but at least I will be like, hopefully like, Oh, there's a reason I'm here having this conversation as opposed to, you know, just kind of doing jumping jacks in the wild, hoping to get someone's attention. And like, you're like, Oh, here, yeah. over here, which is what most artists feel like. Yeah. I thought, I thought of one when we worked at demand media at one point, I, <laughs> I just thought of it. I don't know. At one point there's a hotel that was sharing a wall with our building basically. And Radiohead was in town I forget if it was for ACL or for a sh their own show, but they were, they rented out the entire hotel is a small hotel, like 10 rooms. I think it was South by South by. Okay, yeah. cool. Before the bus left, I ran out and I knocked on their, the door of their bus to give them an EP of mine, which I'm sure they immediately used as a coaster, which is fine. But Ed O'Brien answered the door. And I mean, I guess I talked to him for like a minute you know, and like, you know, I gushed over him a little bit, not, yeah. not like ridiculous, but I just said, Hey, I love your band. Been a huge, huge fan. And it's been a huge uh, driving force for me. So thank you for doing what you do. Here's this thing, this coaster. And that was awesome. But I've never, obviously it was just like me meeting him. It wasn't like whatever, but yeah, yeah I've had a few of those kind of things just out of one. So I had to share it. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. that's only one of the largest bands in the world, you know, and the fact that they I mean, were yeah. actually on the bus, like they, there's no reason they should have been there at that time that you went. And right. I mean, that kind of right. lined up pretty cool. I would. Yeah. No, I've done similar. Like I met. Well, they were leaving. Uh, I saw the bass player walking onto the bus and I was like, oh, shit, I think they're leaving. I, if uh, I don't, I have to do it now. So I, I just did it anyway. 
Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I met Roland Emmerich a while back and I was like, oh, man. We went, remember, we went to see him. Uh, he was doing oh, a QA right, right. at UT. He was that's right doing his movie Anonymous about Shakespeare. Um, the idea behind was Shakespeare, who he was. Um, and you were like, dude, just go freaking talk to him. And you kind of shoved me into line to, to say hi and be like, yo, I'm an actor. You know, if you if you ever have an opportunity, I'd love to audition for you. And, he was like, yeah, you know, here's a, hey, and he grabs his assistant. Hey, this guy wants to, wants to audition. And, and it was fine. Like I emailed him, he gave me his contact and similar. I'm sure there was a pretty nice spam filter set up for, <laughs> with the words audition and actor in it. <laughs> yeah. But you take your shot, you know, no one's going to uh, think less of you for it. I think, I think, you know, if someone wanted help, you know, whenever I had an opportunity, I wouldn't think less of them. I may not be able to do anything for them or I may not do anything at all. Just depending on the situation, you, you might just say, hey, they need to understand there's a process and there are no shortcuts in this process. And that's OK, too. Like I hold nothing back against whoever, Ava or Roland Emmerich for not giving me my shot. Right. That's that's not what they're there for. They're there to do what they do. And it's my job to earn the right to get into those opportunities. And so. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm sure they're giving a lot of people that they care about a shot and that's what that's there for too. You know, why not help your people out? And so I'm all about it, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun. That's, you know, it gives you, you take your, you take your juice, you take your energy where you can get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you have the, if you have the feeling to reach out and do something, you should honor that and do it or talk to somebody or like, you know, send an email if, or like walk up to somebody if you see them. Oh, so I was in Terrytown like months, uh, maybe a year ago. And I forget the old, the old guy from, there was a famous guy. I forget his name. I don't know, but I recognized him from a show and I, I went, just went up to, I was like, I Hey man, I'm a fan, you know, whatever. He's like, Oh, thanks. I really appreciate it. You live around here. I said, no, oh, my mother-in-law lives over here, but just wanted to say hi. I don't want to bother you, whatever. And that's like, I think that they're people too. Right. And I'm sure that they, yeah. that famous people probably, you know, they get stopped more often than anybody else for obviously for obvious reasons. But I think if it's done in a way where you're just like, Hey, I just want to make you feel good for making me feel good. Mm. You know, like I enjoy watching you, what you do, your work. Yeah. Like, that's great. You know, I'm not trying to take a photo with you. I'm not asking you for your autograph. Like, I never got the autograph thing. I don't Same. understand it. Same. What are you going to do with that person's name? You know, frame it and put it on your wall. I mean, give me a break. Like, it's stupid. Just say, thank you for doing what you do. I just want to say that. Have a great day because you made mine really great seeing you. That's it. That's all you got to do. No, I don't think that any famous person would ever be like, F you, man. You know, like, no, give me a break. Give me a break. So that was that was really cool. And he was really nice. And I think that most most people would respond well to that kind of thing. Yeah, you know? I agree. And on every front, like not a big on autographs. I think I realized that in, in elementary, I we were visited by like an, an Aggie football player, like a linebacker and. You know, everyone lined up for autographs. I got his autograph on, you know, whatever was handy at the time. I think it might have been a napkin and took it home, put it in my my drawer. And, at you know, a year goes by, two years go by. 
And it's just still kind of sitting in the drawer. And it was at that point where I realized, I don't know who this guy is. What am I going to do with this thing? And I threw it away and I have never asked for an autograph, you know, since like, it's just, what's the point? I, I like your perspective. Like, Hey, thanks for making me happy. And you know, have a good day. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You can't lose there. <laughs> can't lose. Uh, You're just being nice. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we going to do today, man? Today we are uh, we are covering Fire in the Sky. If you haven't seen it, pause this episode, go watch it. I believe it is streaming. I think I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or Hulu or Prime. Pause this, go watch that, come back because there's going to be spoilers all over the place. Heck to the yeah, we'll cover a few things. We'll touch on a lot of cinematography stuff, including like timing your title sequence, how lens compression can create danger. We'll discuss inserting doubt as well as aliens. Are they out there? Are they among us? And other Ooh. such stuff and things and stuff. Can't wait to get to that stuff and things. So a quick synopsis of the film. An Arizona logger mysteriously disappears for five days in an alleged encounter with a flying saucer in 1975. His co-workers endure ridicule and contempt as they are accused of murder. Directed by Robert Lieberman. Screenplay by Tracy Torme. Based on the book by Travis Walton. Starring D.B. Sweeney as Travis Walton. Pat, Robert Patrick as Mike Rogers, Craig Sheffer as Alan Dallas, Peter Berg as David Whitlock, James Garner as Frank Waters, and Georgia Emelin as Dana. Five days ago, about sundown on Rim Road, north of Turkey Creek, did you see an unidentified light just above the tree line? Yes. Did you see an object hovering above the clearing? Yes. Was it saucer-shaped? Sort of. I don't, I don't, I never seen anything exactly like it before. Yes or no? I'd have to say no. Did you see Travis Walton approach the object on foot? Yeah, yeah I did. You see a bolt of blue-green light envelop Travis Walton. Yeah, man, I told him. I exploded all around him. Did you believe Travis was killed by the ray light? How do I know? Just know that I didn't kill him. Did you personally dislike Travis Walton? What kind of question is that? Huh? Simple yes or no will do. Yes. withheld any pertinent information regarding the disappearance of Travis Wolf? No. Did you create this incident to get out of your logging box? No. Did you or any of your crew murder Travis Wolf? Absolutely not. Have you seen this before? I have. Yeah, I saw it when I was younger. Hmm. Maybe like, I don't know, 16 or so, 17. Oh, wow. What did you think? Does, had you seen it? I thought I had maybe, but nope. This was my <laughs> first time seeing it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So the reason why I wanted to do this film was because I hadn't seen it since I was 15 or 16 or 17 or whatever. And this guy, Travis Walton, was on 
Joe Rogan, I Joe Rogan's that. podcast. And yeah. And which is why, you know, I messaged you and I was like, Hey man, you remember, you remember this movie back in like early nineties? Like we should, we should do this movie. I remember like being scared shitless watching this, but I didn't remember anything about it. I didn't remember that the only time you really see aliens is at the end. So I just remember like the buildup being really pretty good. You know, this mm-hmm. is before I knew anything about movies and had, a, had anything to do with anything visual, right? It was always audio, right? So yeah, so watching it again for the first time in 25 years or so was interesting. So there are a couple of things that I just want to get out, I guess, overall, remembering that this came out in 1993. Like, okay, if this were to come out today, I would expect way more twists or a story. I would expect a lot more of it. But I'm remembering this is 1993 and the way that sci-fi was done in 1993 and like the way aliens were depicted in 1993 is way different than the way that they're depicted now, which could be anything from they're nice and kind, but we're led to believe that they're not but we find out something different to you know they're trying to they are trying to demolish the world or whatever and then on top of that it's not it was made in 93 but it was about an era from 1975 which is even more so it's even you know further regressive right exactly exactly but i'm basing it off of the 90s because they could have told a more accurate depiction of what Travis Walton actually said happened, right? This movie uh, is not, they say, you know, based on true events, well, yeah, but his actual interaction with the, what he calls the aliens are, is like totally different from the movie, at least from what his depiction was on Rogan's podcast and other interviews that he's done throughout the years. The movie is not in line with that. At least, you know, in his interactions with the, the aliens. So if I'm ba- if I'm basing it off of what I know now, then I didn't like it. But I'm not basing it off of that. I'm basing it off of it was made in 1993 and it felt like I, lo- I loved it. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. I loved it and it felt really awesome cutting to him in that pod in the ship. It felt like the Matrix and he's floating out in the middle of that the pods and then gets drugged down that hallway and all of those things it was just it was incredible and then thrown on the table it was a, i felt very similar to how i felt when i was a kid watching that i was like kind of blown away thinking this was the 90s man how did they do this in the 90s this is all practical there's no mm-hmm. like special effects really you know there's no cgi this is yeah. like done real for real I loved it. I loved when they find Travis Walton, his reaction, like the, like being so scared and, and, and timid. And then the flashbacks is how we find out what happened. So tying those in with like the syrup falling on his face was just brilliant. Yeah. The cutting, the editing leading up to that was brilliant and stressful. The music was really, really strong and really good. I think James Garner was really the only kind of, I, I didn't really, but like, it was like, uh, you know, and I guess he was playing a 1975 cop who, you know, he's got to wear the cowboy hat in the South and he's got to, you know, be, <laughs> yeah. And he's got to walk like that, you know, with his <laughs> hands on his hips and out like that. I didn't really like his character, but I thought that DB Sweeney killed it. Robert Patrick was amazing. It was solid acting all around. I, f- I feel like it was written to be a dramatic interaction rather than like a i'm gonna leave you up to suspense and then you find out that they're nice and they're kind and they're actually taking care of you and it's aggressive and i so 
at the end of it, I was like going into it. I thought, man, this is kind of long. I don't really want to watch this. It's 1993. I, I think I backed myself into a corner, <laughs> but pretty, but pretty quickly into it. I, I, I started thinking, oh no, I, I think I'm going to like this. And I ended up really, really enjoying it. So kind of talked in circles there, but, but I would say yeah, it was I more think of for 1993 sci-fi yeah. film, the oval. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I'll take shit, it. Yeah. I'll take it. As long as it's not like triangle. <laughs> yeah. But no mood for shape based jokes, man. Um, <laughs> I loved it too. I think I, I was aware of the same things you were talking about and I got past them very, very quickly. The idea that this is dated and even some of the dialogue felt a little, I don't know, forced and like the flow of a lot of the dialogue didn't work, especially around Travis Walton's character. Like all the, his dialogue ar around Mike just felt forced and uh, it needed to be smoothed out a lot more. But even with all that, man, the, the story's so good that it's so gripping. They do a great job of bringing you along and making you wait for it. Because once it started, I realized, oh, yeah, I've never seen this. This is all new. So I kind of got thrown into the well of not understanding what comes next. And so at a certain point, I'm like, oh, did they kill him? Is that where we're going? Like I started, the, they pulled me in in the oh, best yeah. way possible because if you're already, you know, lightly familiar with the story, then you already know he gets found five days later. For me, I didn't know. Like they start digging up those bones and I'm like, that's probably not going to be his body. But at the same time, I'm not 100% sure of that. And so I kind of kept waiting for, you know, what happens and, then they find them and yeah, that reveal of, especially the way they work into the reveal of him in the hospital and having these flashbacks and the, the way they make it so tight and claustrophobic to help us identify with his anxiety and with, you know, the, the stuff that he's dealing with, it was beautiful. I, I really thought they told a great story and I had no idea this was 93. I thought if you would have asked me, I would have said, oh, this was made in mid, mid 80s because I was just so unfamiliar with it. And I, I literally thought, oh, this came out like a year or two after Close Encounters. This is a counterpart to Close, uh, Close Encounters. And it's it's a superior in, in every way. This is what Close Encounters wanted to be, but couldn't be. And, you know, the on the other side of the, the spectrum, I guess. But this, I definitely felt the horror you're talking about. Like I was terrified. Oh, yeah. they, they start throwing this guy around. Definitely gets a little on the rapey side. I'm like, Oh shit. Like what is about yeah. to go down in this room? <laughs> these the guys, yeah, I'm like, these guys are holding nothing back. Um, and so, and then, you know, they, they run that tube down his throat oh, and I start choking and I'm just like, Oh my God. And they just keep, they stop and then they pick up the slack and push more in and more in. And then they start slowly unraveling the needle that's about to go into his eye. And it starts with this big one. Then it protracts a, a even smaller needle. And they did an incredible job of like pulling focus to help you really see this tiny needle and the, the horror in his eye as they use their medieval looking instruments and before they finally, you know, let you out of that sequence, which lasts probably a good 20, 25 minutes from the awakening in the pod to exploring the space and finding the dead decomposing body. And they really do an amazing job of letting that whole sequence breathe 
so that you stop breathing. Like I don't, I'm not familiar with Robert Lieberman as a director, but good Lord, man, you, he, he absolutely killed it. I'm so glad that you like it. I, I, I really had no idea. It was a shot in the dark. I just remember really it messing with me. And I, you know, we love alien movies yeah. and space movies in general. And sometimes we even love space movies or alien movie, alien movies that don't give us a payoff in the end. Yeah. As long as the payoff is like a really great part of the story. Yeah. In this case, they could have, and this is what I was talking about. They could have maybe got away with not giving us some of the alien if we had more story to it. But they said, you know what? We're giving you alien. We're giving you everything that you came for an abduction movie where something happens and we're giving it to you. And that was, so I, I was just, I'm really happy that you liked it because <laughs> watching it, I was, I was wondering, I was like, I don't know if Wes is going to like this. This is going to be interesting to hear. I went in and I was assuming I'm going to hate this thing because again, yeah. I was assuming this is a mid eighties UFO movie. I'm like, this just cannot end well. <laughs> this isn't going to go in its favor, but it pretty quickly got to me. I, it took a little while. It took until they were in the, uh, they started telling their story. And I, at a certain point, I just kind of went with it. But I, yeah, I, I mean, when they get to the spaceship, it's hard to not be in it because they do such a, a, a measured job of waiting and making you earn that moment by making you question yeah. everybody. Like you've been spending all this time with, you know, Mike and his crew and you you don't know if you can believe them. You obviously, you hate Dallas. That guy's a jerk. And yeah. so there's all these lingering questions. They do the whole light attack polygraph thing and they tease it out as about as long as they possibly could, maybe even a few minutes over, like just to make you really question whether or not, you know, everything's going to be okay before they recover him and allow you to kind of see, because even whenever they get him and then he starts having those flashes, you're like, is he transposing his experience now and kind of retroactively inserting these memories? Like that's kind of the, uh, the easy way out of that um, by to not give us any satisfaction, right? You could just say, we never, we're never going to explore all that stuff. We're just going to make you wonder if he experienced it or if he's overlaying his experiences right now and retroactively creating memories, which I wouldn't be surprised as a, you know, is a real thing because if you go through, you know, some kind of, deep trauma, the body probably does all kinds of crazy things. The mind is a, the most mysterious thing that we, you know, we've yet to begin to understand much less, you know, have answers for. And so when you get to the, the spaceship, it's so good. I love how heavily like disorienting it is whenever he wakes up and the, the way they like angle the camera around, you're just constantly trying to figure out which way is down, which way is up. And they just are constantly from the time he rips out of the the pod shifting the camera around to make it disorienting and it makes sense right because even after he gets out you realize oh we're in space and therefore it's supposed to be disorienting there is no up down in space that's an earth-based idea <laughs> that's something where yeah. you need gravity and so it made sense why the camera was just kind of floating all over the place instead of kind of helping us understand gravity and his you know situation and I thought also in that, that little sequence, his wireframing was fantastic. Like they do this whenever he initially kind of flows out into the middle of the, the tunnel. He does this little out of control spin 
that seems to uh, yeah. go everywhere, almost as if to say, look, no wires, you know? Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> it's perfect. I was blown away. And how brilliant when they, they just pick all of these moments to like try to scare you or not scare you, but just try to like convey the, convey the, like the, the, the horrid, horridness without showing you much of the alien beforehand. Yeah. So much like, I mean, and we don't like to compare too much with other movies, but like Alien is a great example of doing just exactly this. Like, so when he pulls that cord and he flies back into that other pod and realizes it's another human that's dead and there's, there's guts everywhere and his hands are in it and it freaks him out. I mean, that's exactly what would happen to a normal person. It's not like a, oh, you know, and then you just kind of like slowly push your way out. No, you just, you know, you got to get out of here kind of thing. Got to get out. And then the, they take these beats in all in all the scenes in the ship. They take these beats that are, I mean, textbook. I just feel like a lot of movies, they cut away too quick, you know, instead of, I mean, a lot of movies don't. A lot of movies do it right. Let's, let's be honest. But this movie hangs a little longer on things than others might, right? So, for example, the shot of, of after they drape that stuff on him, the, the sheet on him, and then it sucks down. You know, they they give you a wide of that and they hang on it a second. And then when they put it over his head and it's just the shot of his head and his mouth is open, they hang on that for a second. And then they give you a wide of the entire thing of the, the whole thing and him, you know, moving his head like that. But they they stay on it in a little extra beat, yeah. maybe even just a half a beat. And that mad like that makes such a big difference because you're thinking he's he's dying now he he can't breathe he's going to die and we're just hanging here watching this happen instead of well what now and then when the thing comes up and cuts his eye you're thinking cut it cut like yeah breathe breathe. you know at least i was because i knew that they did that because i had seen it before uh-huh. but I, even though i had seen it before i was th- i was in my head i was like cut the cut a hole for his mouth cut yeah. so um anyway that was a good and it's a good example of of ed- good editing. And how good is the set design of the the ship and even the aliens, oh. right? Like I was really impressed with the costumes and the the texture because they feel eerie, but they don't feel silly. They feel gross and um, evasive and old and uncaring. I think that's what it is. It's it's how absolutely yes. uncaring and unsympathetic they look, which helps sell the horror of the of the situation. Like these these are not friendly creatures. Which is I probably at the time it was fresh. I I really don't know contextually, but the whole idea of that's not the alien, that's its spacesuit. Oh, this is the alien. He fucking you know grabs him from behind, oh, which starts yeah. his 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 whole fun romp. Yeah. So what we're seeing, like all, all these reports of aliens, the typical alien that you see is really a spacesuit, yeah. and the actual alien looks different. Looks a lot more, I mean, a lot more human than you would think. But zero facial expression. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. No nose. You know, the mouth is very straight, if not tilted down a little bit. And the way that they did that is they're puppets, right? And so you just, they put their arms in the alien arms, but the body itself and the head, there's nothing in it, right? Or maybe there's like something and they can turn the head, but they they can't move a mouth or anything Mm. like that to make to make it so that they don't have any emotion, seeming like they don't have any emotion. And how about the ship from the outside? Yeah. Huge. How, how cool. <laughs> Huge. And just 
interesting. There's no real door that you see. Mm. It's just like these red cracks in what looks like an eggshell almost. Yeah. It's just really cool. And it, but it doesn't, it looks big, but it doesn't look as big as when he's in it. You know, if you mm-hmm. look at the the hallway that he's floating in, you know, we don't see the entirety of the ship yeah. when from the outside. We just see kind of like the bottom dome area of it. So maybe it's a lot bigger, but they just give you just enough. But then they do the whole Spielberg thing where, you know, it doesn't, it can be as big as you want when you're in it. Yeah. But from the outside, we're only giving you a little bit. We're only going to show you a little bit. But then when you're in it, it's it's this whole other world. It almost feels like even more foreign. It feels like just as foreign as if we had never seen the actual ship itself. Yeah. I guess is a good way to, to that it makes you feel so super clever. I'll rush through a few things here. I didn't have a ton of thoughts on this thing, but I guess mostly just cinematography stuff kind of kept jumping out at me, which I didn't expect after watching it the first time. But yeah, the opening sequence I found interesting. Just the uh, just to look at first shot, last shot. The first shot is well, they kind of got a twofer because. They opened the the film with a quote, right? Chance makes a plaything of a man's life, uh, Seneca. And so I thought that I thought that was interesting because they they ran a quote before they even started the title sequence. So it's almost like they got a little twofer with how you begin the movie. And I, I thought that was interesting. But the, the the opening shot itself was misty woods in moonlight, right? And they roll credits, which I'll come back to in just one second. But the final shot is woods in broad daylight. And then you have your afterward titles of Travis and Mike went on to whatever, have 10 babies together or whatever happened. And so the the first and last shot are just two very different things and are the same thing in two very different scenarios. We're looking at the woods in, in two different ways, right? The opening, it makes sense. Let's add mystery to the woods. And so we're going to add mist in this kind of moonlight backlighting, which we come to realize is the truck headlights. And then the final shot is everything's revealed. Nothing's hidden in broad daylight. And so it's two different perspectives of the exact same thing, which is the woods. But in that opening shot, like we sit and hang out on these woods with the fog rolling and this backlighting and while the credits roll and it's just credit after credit after credit after credit then finally after the title sequence you know where the 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 actual title of the film fire in the sky fades out suddenly the truck blasts over the hill and to me that's really interesting looking at it just because i understand that didn't happen by accident they didn't just happen to get enough you know footage beforehand to that allowed them to roll titles that takes a lot of timing to to figure out your opening sequences. And so they figured out, okay, here's all the titles we're going to run, run. Here's roughly the pacing we're going to want to do it. And so now we have to plan around how to run this title sequence and visual and end it with the, the start of the film. You know, it wasn't like they cut to the truck. It was titles and cue the truck <laughs> almost like they were doing it all in sequence. And so it's a lot of timing. You run a watch and then you figure out, okay, we're going to have the truck sitting in the background And maybe it'll roll forward over like 20 feet or maybe 50 feet slowly go eh, go two miles an hour for, you know, 45 seconds. And then at 45, I want you to gun it and then we'll work out the rest in in post and then boom, burst. And now we're we have this rush of energy that came out of nowhere. So it's almost prepping you to just sit and be patient 
and then rewarding you with this surge of energy. So I really, that kind of stuff I think is really smart. And a similar thing happens when the truck pulls into the bar because we have that whole, I don't want to call it a chase sequence, but the the fast driving sequence where the truck ends by rolling in and parking at the bar and they park and then it plays, it adds a new title, Arizona, 1975. And then it fades away and then they kill the headlights. Like that's all one long shot too from the time it's, watching it pulling into the 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 bar sitting with it right you got to think they don't see the titles but they they plan it they stop watch it and they wait and then they cue them hey hit your headlights and so this is all pre-planned this is like not just what you see in a script this is an ad and a producer and a director sitting down with the the cinematographer and saying here's what we need here are the beats here's when things need to happen boom okay we got our shot um I did this in, you know, our last film that we made last summer where I had a stopwatch sitting right on the side and I would cue my my DP, start your camera move now. It's been whatever I wanted it to be. For me, it was 15 seconds and I knew how it all played in and all the DP needed to know is that he could trust me. Just do what I ask and everything will be fine. <laughs> and so I have a lot of respect, especially for something that's that long and that patient with that many moving parts. It takes It takes a lot of discipline. And so, and that's just opening shots <laughs> crazy. the bar was fun because that's a really easy place it's such a smart place to begin because a bar is home to a lot of neon lighting and in this case it serves a really good function to create a, a supernatural tone and atmosphere foreshadowing the red blue lighting of the ufo and the story that they're going to tell and from the time they walk in right and they're ignoring everybody they go and they start kind of fighting amongst themselves like hey stick to the story just tell the story. And Mike walks over to the payphone to call the cops. And whenever he steps under, he's bathed in a blue light, just like Travis is going to be whenever he gets uh, struck. And then that first meeting with the detective in that same bar is, is very interesting, too. I think they're doing something very specific there. So if you look at Dallas, Dallas is standing up while everyone else is seated at the table. And I think that's important because this gives him an uplighting because the table lamp is lighting everyone in that area. And so everyone who's seated by the table has this nice soft lighting on their face. And Dallas being away and standing is now being uplit. And that uplighting, think of it like a campfire story, which I think the table lamp resembles a campfire, right? They're gonna tell us a campfire story, which could be viewed as a judgment by the writer or the director as to the veracity of the tale itself. Like they could be mm -hmm. passively making a judgment about you're just going to hear a story right now. But with Dallas standing up in a way and getting this uplighting, it's like telling a campfire story, right? Where someone puts a torch or a, a flashlight underneath their chin, right? And a ghost story. And so you have this these harsh, weird shadows hitting someone's face in a way that we're not used to. And it creates a feeling of a little scary, maybe untrustworthy, but it's setting the tone for Dallas's character journey as a possible killer and enemy to Travis. And so that's a very interesting, you know, fine-tuning way to, to, to play into Dallas's character and use cinematography as a way to, to illuminate the audience or to set an expectation with the audience. Because that's before we ever know that he's, a, he's, you know, him and Travis have beef, but you can already feel this is a dark character he's a jerk he's uncooperative and he looks a little scary and so but that whole scene is dark in the bar and as they're starting the story which is really nice it creates a really good contrast to the bright 
uh, transition when we finally meet Travis on this early hopeful morning that kicks off meeting the whole crew and the whole team. It's very bright and friendly and it adds a really good contrast by starting it in this dark, scary bar. And now we feel a little bit alleviated, like, okay, nice. I can take a breath and I can kind of enjoy a moment here and they roll into it. And then of course they tell that whole opening sequence before cutting back to the bar and they're like, well, then what happened? You know, was he still with y'all whenever you left the, uh, the, the site? And they're like, yeah. And that's when they pulled Dallas in. And Dallas, I love this little match cut that he does. He's about to light a you know, cigarette or a cigar or something. And he takes out his, uh, his matchbook and he strikes it. And they do a match cut, literally, because they're cutting on the action of striking a match between two different scenes. And so it starts with him in the motion. And then you cut to him at night as they're, you know, about to do their thing, get into the car and start the the journey home, which sets everything on fire, right? You have the match symbolizing so much because this is a a sequence that's going to burn down to the end. And there's a lot of symbolism you can pull out of just the idea of a match burning and fire in the sky, the UFO. And it's, it's perfect. And it's a great visual way to, to cut it back into back in time. I love it. And to me in a very small way, you know, it's the the most famous match cut of all is uh, Lawrence of Arabia, which is, again, a literal match cut in a slightly different way. I'll be another thing in this opening part is the sheriff before he gets to the bar, him sitting at the railroad tracks. They do this little gag on the audience, right? The red lights descending in his windshield. Yeah. And he's reacting in this almost awe before they reveal, oh, he's at a train track, <laughs> right? But they're, we've seen this done a number of times. This is very tried and true, if you will, or derivative and cliche, pick your poison. But that whole sequence, just a little fake out, does require some, some planning and some thought because you have to make sure the actor understands the moment and what he's playing into because it's too easy, right? He can't show annoyance like we normally would do by getting caught behind a train. Like that's an annoying moment. It's like, doggone it. And an actor's instinct may be to play the character's experience. And that character is really just experience getting stopped at a train. But instead, he needs to be playing into the tone of the film. The film is trying to get at something. The film is trying to create a feeling, uh, an expectation within the audience. And he has to play into that, not being stopped at a train. (laughs) And so... You, this is something you got to coordinate with your actor and make sure they're on the same page. I've had this problem before on set and I'm like, yeah, you're don't react to that. You're, you're here. You're do this other thing. You have to think about this. And, and sometimes it takes more work than others. I'm sure James Garner is a, a you know, a pros pro been around the block or a, a time or a thousand. So, but then all you got to do at that point is everyone's done their job add the mysterious music and it completes the whole UFO fake out because it even pulled me in. I was like, I know it's too early, but could it be? <laughs> it's too early. Yeah, could be seeing this now? <laughs> Another thing as far as cinematography goes, and this will be almost it. The, the chainsaw moment with Dallas between Dallas and uh, Travis where Dallas, you know, they're supposed to break for lunch and Dallas walks up on them with the chainsaw. They do this thing where you do feel a little bit of danger. Like, Bro, you're you're getting really damn close with your chainsaw. <laughs> That's a man's face. And there's a very simple trick to to heighten the the danger of of anything. I'd say more often we see this with two things: fight sequences and fire. When you're trying to make it look like, especially you know in the '90s and and earlier, you can't really put a fire next to someone's face without 
actually burning them. And so you need to make it look like they're sitting in a fire. And whether you're talking about faking a punch or, you know, faking someone being burned alive or faking someone's chainsaw being right next to, you know, a person's face uh, to create danger. There's a one very simple technique that's tried and true, which is a longer lens. You shoot it from far away with a much longer lens. And there's this aberration that we call compression. The further you are away from something, the more flat everything gets. Like it's the difference between trying to separate a mountain, you know, 40 miles away from the sky. Like separationally, they're they're basically the same exact thing. You can't see any depth between the mountain and the sky or the mountain and that cloud over there. It's because they're so far away and, it, and it's not going to change just by breaking out of the lens. The lens is going to create what we call compression. It's going to squish everything together. And so if you get whatever, 20 yards away and you throw a long lens on it. Not that they were quite that far away, but if you get 20, 30 feet away, throw a decent lens on there and get into a close up. Well, suddenly, whereas the, the chainsaw might be two or three feet away, it's right next to his face, you know, with, when you factor in the laws of compression and it makes things look much closer to the eye than they actually are. So you can ramp up danger in, the, in that kind of way. But then on top of that, I'm sure that chainsaw probably had something like a, a cloth chain uh, in addition to be a few feet away, you know, for safety. And so you do multiple layers. You don't just kind of rely on one thing in order to, to get the effect across. But yeah, I think Long lenses create compression. You can kind of fake things being closer than they actually are. And so... Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a nifty little trick, you know? Little footballs. And so <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they the, the last thing that, you know, kind of jumped out at me was on the idea of creating doubt. They're in the truck on the way out to the job site. And the guy in the back seat, right, is one guy's blasting his music. Another guy's reading the National Enquirer, right? And he makes this comment, lady has a litter of 13. And Dallas is like, that's bullshit. And he's like, nope, says so right here. And he's reading the National Enquirer as if, it is, sure, that's fact. And what I think yeah. they're doing, this, the, you know, just in case it's not obvious, this is a subtle hint of raising doubt about what you read in tabloids. And tabloids played a significant role in Travis Walton's story. They, you know... I think the Inquirer paid him like five grand for a story and, you know, they gave him a polygraph and, you know, they've they've been accused of coaching him through how to take a polygraph in order to, to beat the results. There's tricks you can do, like apparently holding your breath and who knows what else. And so there's ways to, I, I think I read a long time ago and now that I'm thinking about it, you can put something underneath your arm to kind of slow your your whatchamacallit um like if you put a tennis ball or something like that racquetball underneath your armpit you can slow your 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 pulse down a lot and so there's there's things you can do to, to really? cheat polygraphs and maybe i'm sure they've gotten more sophisticated over time and they check for those kinds of things but yeah i don't know but wow with that in mind i mean what do you think do you believe this guy's story no <laughs> i don't either i'm sorry uh, absolutely not um <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not i do not um it's never aliens until it's aliens <laughs> that's right. right yep i completely right agree. so um and apparently he makes a cameo in the film and and uh i didn't see it but i read something about it that that he was i don't know what he would look like in 1993 so i don't know how to point him out but church scene i bet uh, they're having their town hall oh yeah probably yeah, a good point and 
And I'm like, you know what? If someone was make, if I, if this happened to me and it was that traumatic and someone was making a movie and getting it wrong, yeah, there's no way. Even if I would, even if I would say, yeah, you can pay me for the film. Sure. I wouldn't be in it. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, that's, that's like basically saying, yeah, I, I'm okay with them effing up my true story while the world says I'm lying. Like, mm. no, wouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't believe him. I know that the guys, the other guys in the truck took the, took a polygraph a couple of times and they all passed or something. I don't mm. know, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's, it's not, it's not aliens until it's aliens. And in this case, I don't believe him because he was basically okay with him, with them telling a different story than what he told. Yeah. And if he's like so sure, so, you know, adamant that no, it happened this way, then, well, it, then you should, you know, die on that mountain, man. Uh, yeah. No. What about you? Yeah. No, zero. I, I think you said it really yeah. well. I've never heard it quite as well as put, like, it's not aliens until it's aliens. <laughs> and I just have a hard time thinking that if, if an alien was going to visit us, that they would find any need to conceal themselves. It would be like us studying ants and making sure the ants don't see us. Like if you're that far yeah. advanced, I don't think you really give a shit. And the implication, maybe even worse, the implication of them not wanting us to see us would be far more devastating to me just because at that point we're more of uh, an aquarium and mm -hmm. limited in our, our self ownership. And so I, yeah, I just, I don't think an intelligent species that's capable of visiting another planet would be quite as careful. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, the, the timing around this is, is kind of silly. Like this is a few years after we touched down on the moon and there's other things that happened around this time, like Roswell and I, aliens were in the, you know, the atmosphere. And so everyone was just kind of, yeah. you know, staking their ground, trying to be, I can only imagine the things that are going through your head if you're out in the middle of Arizona logging all day, like you, you probably dream up some, some interesting ideas of how to get one over and, you know, escape that kind of life. I, yeah. Yeah. I no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I think we're on the same page. Now, do you think that aliens exist? That life exists, intelligent life exists in the cosmos? I do. I would assume so. I think it, it only stands a reason that it's it's out there somewhere. I I highly doubt we've been visited, at least in the modern era, by any of those intelligent species. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I lean. And part of me also thinks like your view on aliens and UFOs is somewhat of a mirror of yourself. Um, or it could be kind of a, a Rorschach test, as in as in we might assume onto aliens what we believe about ourselves. Like if you think they're mm -hmm. out there and they're good natured, that could be a reflection of you versus if you think they're out there and, you know, you need to be terrified of them. That would also tell me something about your inner workings. Of course, being aware of the question might taint the question, but no, that I was not aware of that question. So that's my view. I, I, I'm not aware yeah. of anybody making that case, but that's one of my instincts. Of, yeah, I like yeah, it. but I, I, I think so. I think it's just it's too big out there. There's too much opportunity. And if anything, maybe we just kind of pass each other in the night. I think my, my, my big suspicion, and I'm jumping the gun a little bit here. My big suspicion is probably more along the lines of maybe we're all just, just now kind of waking up together. Like, 
maybe in a you know few hundred thousand years or a million years we'll see more activity but maybe we're all just kind of getting there together mm -hmm. i don't know what do you think yeah i think that there is intelligent i mean dude <laughs> the universe is so big that you can't in the milky way alone there's more stars than there are grains of sand on the earth so yeah <laughs> imagine that and and you can't even fathom that i mean if you anybody says yeah i can affect they're lying there's no way that you can fathom that so the odds of us being the only and i use the word intelligent very lightly <laughs> uh, intelligent life anywhere in the universe is just who is it that said if there if there is not intelligent life then that's an awful waste of space yeah is that sagan Sagan. yeah 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 carl sagan yeah so i think or maybe he said if there's not life in general then mm. You know, because so, the other thing is it could be a time-based thing. Maybe there was intelligent life somewhere and they snuffed themselves out. Maybe there will be somewhere else, but it's not quite there yet. It's like, you know, the primordial ooze kind of yeah. stage. You know, who knows? I think there, there either is or there was or there will be intelligent life somewhere else for sure. Have they visited us? I don't think so. I agree with you that... You know why would they hide themselves if they're that if they're that smart to be able to travel obviously i mean light years because there's nowhere you know that intelligent life is living in you know that we know of anywhere near us then what do they what do they care if we have guns <laughs> or bombs like that do nothing for them to them i would imagine so so yeah, I, I think that there is, but I just, I don't think that it, any of these stories are true. I think that people might think that they are even, mm. uh, you know, there, there are some yeah. people that just swear something happened. And I think that maybe to them, something did happen. But like you said, interestingly, like the way that they depict it has, says something about them as a human and they, you know, but, and they don't even know about the question. Uh, right. So yeah. It, that's why it does tell you that, right? I've never heard that question before, and it's very interesting. I always thought, like, okay, if aliens have visited us, I feel like they're kind. Same. I don't feel like they're here to do experiments on us because why? They could just literally watch us and find out all that they need to know about us. If they want our anatomy, a lot of us die all the time. Just suck one of us up after we die. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's not, there's no need, right? And if they're that intelligent that they can travel light years across the galaxy, then they don't need to do experiments on a living creature and like let it go through pain and all that yeah. shit. So, so I'm of the camp. I'm of the positive camp, yeah. right? Where they're not. It's not going to be Independence Day where they come to you know take over the you know try to get our resources and stuff. They don't care about that. But and I I guess that that's what that says about about us, yeah, right? That's true. We're, We're on the we're optimistic side optimists? and yeah we're peaceful people yeah we're peaceful people <laughs> at least you and, you I, and are. I are uh, awesome all right well that was fun i'm really glad you enjoyed same, it same man i was delightfully surprised i was like oh hey yes they actually have honestly drama so was i character development and <laughs> like i actually care what happens to these people and i want mike and uh and travis to be okay and yeah yeah i was totally there the whole way good good call and I also, you know, while I don't believe the real Travis Walton's story mm -hmm. in the movie, I wanted the cops to believe the guy. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. Because, you know, we know that it happened in the movie. Yep. So we're like, you know, and I really like 
what's his what's his name the friend the friend that drives away uh, oh mike mike rogers yeah. yeah i really like that he doesn't just like get beat up on he doesn't just allow it to happen i mean he allows it to happen to a point but then like in the church scene mm. he doesn't just stand there see that they're talking shit and then you know just kind of like hang his head and walk out no he confronts all of them he's like i know you our kids go to school together you know i i know gladys really whatever her name is you know the old lady he like calls him out for talking talking smack and and not believing him and thinking that they killed his that he killed his one of his best friend and i love that because if that were me damn right i would say something of course i would stand up for myself and I don't like stories about people that don't. Yeah. It just makes me makes me cringe and feel like like so stressed out when I don't need to feel stressed out. Yeah. Like, dude, tell like stand up for yourself right now. That's what you should do if you're telling the truth. If you're not telling, and I know, I know, and I've heard this a lot from a lot of people, everybody reacts differently, right? Some people shut down, some people don't know how to stand up for themselves. I get that. But if you're trying to tell a story that is trying to be different than every other story, Hmm. then you have to like push it, push the narrative that he was, he was taken, push the narrative that you did not kill him, push the narrative that, that you are telling the truth. And he did that really well. So, okay. Maybe last question that Jogda thought I had watching the movie, which is if that's us and I jump out and I'm getting beamed up or messed over blown back yeah are you are you getting out of the truck are you grabbing me or are you driving i'm off, getting man? out of the truck <laughs> i'm getting out of the truck yes like that was ridiculous yeah. oh he's on the ground he got blown back he's got to be dead like no get out of the truck and go over to him <laughs> see if he's dead at least don't just drive away no. like, and i i know like people get frazzled or whatever but I'm, but if you even take you know half a second to understand if they want you, they're going to get you. If that's what they're working with, your truck isn't going to stand yeah. in the way of them not getting yeah. you. So what does it hurt to get out and at least all be together? Yeah. Grab your friend because they traveled intergalactically. So I don't think you making over that hill is going to stop them. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Very good point. No. Yeah. And they sat there. For a good 20 seconds or something after he got blown back. It wasn't like they just drove off immediately. Yeah. <laughs> he was like deciding, is he dead? Do you think he's dead? Is he? I, I think he's dead. He's definitely dead. Drive away. Are you sure? I don't know. It was like conversations happened yeah, before he decided to drive away. Yeah. And so I don't blame Travis at all in the film for being pissed off yeah. at him for years. Yeah. I would be too. Yeah. How dare you leave me? How dare you leave me? Yeah. You don't know that I'm dead. You had no idea. And even if you did know I was dead, like you, you never got out of the car even once. And in his, in his real story, in the real Travis Walton story, they did drive away and then they ended up coming back. Wow. So, but, but apparently the beam of light was not part of it. Like ah. that didn't happen. So I don't, I don't know if he was like blown back or whatever. I don't know if that happened, but interesting. anyway, yeah, I would get out of the car. Man. <laughs> That's love, man. That's love. <laughs> That's love. That's love. I'm assuming you would too. So oh, I'm not even asking. No question. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, so what are you going to recommend this week? So I'm going to stay kind of in the era in like, well, about 10 years after. So in the two thousands, I guess, but you know, kind of sci-fi ish, uh, but I'm going to stay on earth. I'm going to recommend the core 
Holy crap. Uh, okay. Which is, yeah, I know. I know, right? I know. For whatever reason, I just really like this movie, oh, okay. uh, which is so funny because maybe if I go back and watch it with like a, a critic critical eye, yeah, you know, I won't. But I just like the idea of drilling into the center of the earth, right? Is that Hillary Swank hanging out with Hillary yes. Swank? Cool. Yeah, hanging out with him and uh, Aaron Eckert. Nice. I think it's really intriguing. The science behind it is really interesting mm. and cool. And there's some moments in there where you're thinking like there is a lot of cost to what they're trying to do and things happen and you're and you're thinking it's kind of a, reminds me a little bit of underwater in some cases, not with like monsters right, or right. anything, but with with um, just the way that the science behind mm. it. Right of like pressure and things that can exist in places where you don't think that anything could things like that is really, it's, it's really cool. And I think I recently watched it again, like maybe three years ago and I still, I still so fun. dug it. Still dug kind it. of talked me so, into it. I might, I might check that out then. Like I, I know, right. I saw it whenever I'm sure it first came out. Cause I see every sci-fi movie with a budget and many without, but yeah, it's been a while. So yeah. Okay. Okay. There's another one that came out I mean, at the same time that did invoke like monsters and stuff that's buried in the earth. Yes. Yes. I don't remember what that it's, one. I mean, that might've been journey to the center of the earth. Oh, think of, uh, yeah, I'm not into that kind yeah. of thing, but think of, uh, sunshine, uh, but going the other direction, the journeys. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not that level. It's not that level. Okay. <laughs> sunshine is next level <laughs> shit, but it's fun. It's definitely fun. That's exciting. So, what about you? I'm going to recommend a little book trilogy called The Three Body Problem. So if you enjoy. Dude, I have you started? I started reading it. Oh, yeah, I did. I'm very excited. Yes. Oh, my God. I cannot tell you. What is it about? Can so, you give a, a little preface? That's really difficult because to even really discuss what the book is about is to give it away. Okay. And so okay. I would just preface it with saying if you enjoy sci-fi, especially especially science-based sci-fi that has real world intelligence behind it, then you would appreciate this. Uh, I guess similar in the way of fire in the sky doesn't really go out there, out there, right? They invoke aliens and spaceships and, but you never feel like it's hokey. It's like they're telling a perspective and you could feel that there, you know, there's gravity in space. And like, so they're think of it in those terms, like, Oh, he, this <coughs> author decided to use, science as a basis to tell a, a very high-minded sci-fi story and the places that ends up taking you are absolutely thrilling if you uh, if you're a nerd if you like to nerd out over science and things like that so the three body problem is the first book in a trilogy if you read the first book you will figure out the the second and third book i guarantee <laughs> i i had it in here actually this morning i was reading a little bit of it this morning. I brought it inside before, before we recorded or else I would hold it up. <laughs> it takes its time. Yeah, like, cool. cause it doesn't start with the sci-fi. Yeah. It starts with, uh, yeah. Something I'd never heard about, which is called the, the, the struggles in China during Mao, uh, chairman Mao. So the, the opening chapter starts with the persecution Brutal. of, uh, you know, science teachers, which, yeah. you know, they, you don't know where that's going to take you, but it, you know, it's relevant. And so, yeah. 
Go read that. Yes, it's so good. Will uh, do. <laughs> <laughs> and stay tuned for next week. We are going to tackle the high-minded sci-fi world of Ted Lasso, where <laughs> a, a football coach goes and coaches football. Of course, that's American football going to coach UK football, two different types of football. But yeah, we'll tackle that. It's on Apple TV Plus if you go do a free trial. I promise you'll get through that thing in a day, maybe two, if you're really like busy. <laughs> and so Yeah, um, they're short episodes. They're 30 minutes. Yeah, very quick. Ten episodes. You will absolutely you can't stop. It's freaking lace potato chip if ever there was one. Definitely. It's a great way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe, review, drop us a, a note on iTunes. If you want us to cover a thing, let us know. We're more than happy to to hear what y'all have to say. And if you want to drop a note on this episode in particular hey if you have a ufo story of your own let us know turn us into believers tell us why you know you have the definitive alien story that's gonna finally reveal all that is hidden and you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash fire in the sky and our quote of the day that we'll leave you with is from enrico fermi where is everybody humans could theoretically colonize the galaxy in a million years or so and if they could astronauts from older civilizations could do the same so why haven't they come to Earth? That's a little thing that we yeah. know as Fermi's paradox, which is that very question of, you know, if if the math extrapolates, like Todd was saying earlier, like there's so many planets out there. You know, if you consider that even half the stars that are out there have a planet like that's still billions of planets, probably trillions. And if if there's that many stars and planets and that much possibility and mathematically that much probability for life why is there such a lack of extraterrestrial civilizations that are out there and so fermi begins to explore various ideas of why that why that is why we haven't run into you know civilization i mean for all we know we're the backwater of the universe you know we are the the snowflake arizona of of yeah. you know the milky way and so maybe to our benefit that's the case or not i don't know but there's all these theories about why that might be and one of them todd also alluded to with the idea that you know sometimes it's you self-destruct yourself on the way to exercising your intelligence and for us the nuclear bomb is you know, uh, existential threat, you know, in the wrong hands and how easy, how many times have we, you know, been close to nuclear annihilation and that would have been our, what they call the great curtain, right? The, the thing that might separate you from exiting your, your solar system. And one of those might be just self-destruction and a bunch of others, but I, I enjoy thinking about Fermi and, uh, Fermi's paradox. It's, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I never I've I've known about this for years. I've never really I've never really liked it. I've always mm -hmm. thought it's just an easy way to dismiss something that is possible. That is very possible. I mean, yeah, that's like that's like saying that's like saying if I'm a grain of sand, nobody stepped on me, so no one exists. Wow. There are quadzillions of grains of sand, right? How is someone gonna step on every grain of sand? Like there's no there's no way. And even if you know, we've been sending radio waves out into space for maybe a hundred years. 40? Or, yeah, I guess technically if you're talking about I'm just, the advent of television, yeah. Yeah, hundred years. Mm -hmm. Light can't go anywhere in a hundred years in the universe. Like nowhere, right? <laughs> nothing. So a hundred light years is nothing 
It is a it is a spec. So even if some and even if some other civilization out there is a hundred million light years away, and fifty million years ago they started looking, still their radio waves have not reached us. So, and that assumes what are, what are the odds? And yeah, even then, sorry. I mean, it also assumes that the the radio waves wouldn't have degraded over that time. Like we probably right exactly have weak signals. A hundred percent. I mean, we've found very weak signals from super far away things that we've seen, and we've seen things that are you know 10, 12 billion years old, light that's that old. Those things might not even exist anymore. Uh-huh. So, so like there is, it's just a blanket statement saying that okay aliens aren't don't exist because we don't see them well or they don't see it there's no proof of them we haven't found proof of them yet i'm that just i i've never really bought that yeah i, I'm, I don't i'm not saying that that's what this say, says right. i'm saying that that's what a lot of people look at that and they imagine it saying it's just i think that's a way of dis, what he's saying here is a way of dismissing these these accounts that like life is everywhere mm. and we just haven't found it yet it's like well no you know it's very rare yeah if it's there but i is mean what it's saying agreed 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 and it's a it's a really good starting point to ask yourself what would what could be the reasons that would prevent life from reaching us or from colonizing the the universe and then from that, you can start to learn stuff about ourselves, like the idea that we could kill ourselves and maybe could, you know, reveal things to be wary of going forward. Like, here's where we need to be careful to not like destroy ourselves and splitting the atom or mm-hmm. trying to leave the point. The, the solar system. Yeah. And so it's still good questions, but I think, yeah. you know, the it is used in that way that you're talking about. It is used to kind of undercut the the idea that life may exist out there. And once again, I think it, it the answer is usually revelatory of the the answer, the the person who's doing the the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Love it. Great discussion. I love talking about Same. space and aliens and all that good <laughs> stuff, man. Golly. So fun. So fun. Thank you guys so much for for joining us. Wes, I had a blast. Same. I'm glad you liked the film. I'm glad I liked it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, thanks for joining us and make sure you watch Ted Lasso for next week. You're going to enjoy that and share us with your friends, subscribe, review, all that stuff really helps. We really appreciate it every single time that we get any kind of review or anything like that. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.